Okay, it's a beautiful day. And um, I was up early this morning and there was no wind. It was fantastic. We did our Easter um, sunrise service yesterday morning. And, you know, the sun rises at about nine, seven minutes, nine minutes past seven in the morning. You know, but the wind, Andy and I were there doing the worship. The wind was pumping. And everyone huddles into the corner of this building and we're sitting doing the right thing there anyway. It's beautiful. As the sun rises, there we are worshiping, glorifying God, praising His mighty name, who He is to us. He's so good. And that's, but, yeah, thank goodness we're not blowing away today. But today is the culmination of this 40-day journey we've been on. And I know Kathleen added to that and uh, spoke into that a little bit this morning and stuff. We, we do, when God speaks, we respond and we take Him seriously. And we don't get all intense about it, but we be, we, we accountable, we be accountable to Him. We hear what He's saying us, and we obey. We follow. We don't look for outward change and outward things. We look that our hearts are molded and shaped according to what God is saying to us. And everything we do for the Lord is according to our hearts. Because you're not going to get measured. You're not going to be judged. You're not going to be get questioned when you stand before Him one day to look at all the stuff that you did. And, you, and He sees behind you. You will question your works, but it's going to be a judgment of your heart and how you did it for the king and how you honored him and worshiping him. So you've closed doors, you've confessed, you've turned to him. And as I said, we're not looking for the big change. We're looking for the, the assurance in our hearts that we've chosen and walking in the right thing of what God is saying to us. And I want to say to you, the pursuit of holiness and the pursuit of purity in the Lord plays out over your life. It's not a, there's a change when you are saved and you're redeemed and you are God's chosen, you are sucking milk when that happens. But you grow and mature in the things of God and you learn to walk in holiness. You walk in purity and slowly but surely the goodness of God starts playing out in your life because it's a daily choice that you make to honor Him with your life and everything that you lay your life down before Him. That's the beautiful journey. And God is just highlighting over us over this last season, walking into and what God is saying to us in this time and season. But I want to contrast today, as we celebrate this day of Easter, I want to contrast the story from the very beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden. And I want to see how, patch this together, and you'll see how things happened as we, uh, from the very beginning with Adam and Eve to this time where we're now celebrating our Lord and King Jesus Christ, who is resurrected, who is alive and the fulfillment of our redemption and rescue from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light has been assured because of what Jesus has done for us today. So I want to read from a verse in, in um, Genesis 3, verse 18. And this is where things changed from the very beginning. And this is um, 3, 8, 1 to, uh, 3, chapter 3, 8 to 13. And it says, and this is Adam and Eve, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They were ashamed, they were in fear, and they were guilty. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Adam, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. That's why Alan came to speak last week 
He's just saying, men, stop blaming your wives. Okay? And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And we all know this story that Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Okay. I want to pull out a few things from this story here. God asks them the question, where are you? Where are you? God is looking for them. Where are you? Where, why have you hidden away? God is looking for them. They were afraid. They were guilty and shame, and they hid away from God. Okay? Because they couldn't face looking at it because they were aware now of their nakedness. Okay? God found them and appeared and spoke to them. But what happened from that interaction? Because of their choices, selfish choices and disobedience, they were banished from pleasure. They were banished from beauty. They were banished from perfection and sent out of the garden. And then the angel and the swords have closed that up, never to enter again and banish them. And I want to paint you a little quick story here through all time as God, from that point, what God has been trying to work and restore through all time between God and man, his intention was always and has always been to restore things just as it was in the garden. Through the thousands of years prior to this day that we celebrate now was the Father's heart that all things would be restored. There were keys spoken right in the very beginning there that your seed and that your heel would crush the head of the serpent. All these things were spoken about as pointing to a time. And so sin in the garden separated man from God. And man and the enemy pushed the boundaries as we see in Genesis 6 where the, the Nephilim and all those and man just pursued what they wanted to do and God got to the point where he actually wiped everybody out through Noah and he flooded the whole earth. And then God chose a man called Abraham and saying to him that from your seed, a great nation would come. This is part of the restoration. God is still pointing to that day, pointing to a time. And from Abraham, we see he birthed Isaac. And Isaac, we know, gave birth to Jacob. We see the generational God standing right in front of us as a witness, as a sign. That's what God's heart is. And from Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel were birthed that became God's people. And he called them his very own. And then Moses, after the years and years of slavery, was used as an instrument to redeem God's people after 430 years of bound by Pharaoh and the rulers of those days. God came in a time and said, now I will redeem my people. And Moses led them out into the wilderness and the Red Sea parted and the, the Pharaoh and his armies were defeated. But through that time of Moses, the tabernacle and the sacrifices that were set in place were all a foreshadow. We're all pointing to something that's going to come, that's going to be fulfilled in what we celebrate today. Okay, and God appointed through this time, He appointed judges to help guide the people, to help give them direction and help them to understand. They were prophetic voices that heard from God to say, this is what the Lord is saying, obey the voice of the Lord. But unfortunately, what we read at the very end of Judges, Judges 21 verse 25, it says these words, and in those days... There was no king in Israel. Everyone did, was, did what was right in his own eyes. What a sad place. And God continued to raise up his judges. And Samuel was a judge and a prophet before the Lord, speaking to the people of God. 
And in that time, they said, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. Give us a king. And God said, no, I'm your king. But he says, I'll give you what you want. And he gave them a king, and that's where Saul was appointed as king to rule over Israel. And as we know the story, Saul failed. Saul chose his own way. He was disobedient to what the prophet had said, disobedient to God. And God raised up David as a foreshadow again of what he is showing us, what he is pointing to of what his kingdom will look like. And David ruled. Yes, he made mistakes, but he saw Israel prosper. He saw the nation prosper over that time. And, um, and, the, he, and, and it says in the word that it will come from the line of Jesse. The Messiah will come through that line of David and Jesse and David and as it passed on from his time. But what we see is Israel continued to choose the worship of idols and other gods. Over and over again, God kept asking, where are you, Israel? Where are you? Where are you, my people? Obey my voice. Follow me. Listen to me. Calling out. Calling out. Prophets were called to speak to the king. They killed the prophets. Isaiah and Jeremiah crying out, people, listen to the truth of what God is saying. And there were lone voices in the midst of this rebellious people who chose to worship idols and sacrifice to Baal, purposefully chose. What a desperately sad state they were in as a people, constantly choosing their own way, not following the ways of God. And it went on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years asking, God pleading with his people through prophets, listen to me. He divorced them. He said, I'm married you. You're my wife as a husband to you. Then he divorced. He did all these things. But he said covenants in place that he can never break. And then it got to a point where heaven was silent. 400 years. There was not a prophet. There was not a word from heaven. There was nothing. And the people were left for 400 years waiting where God is because the state was so desperate silence <laughs> and then on a day 400 years later can you imagine the excitement in heaven when angel Gabriel is given an assignment Today, you will visit Zechariah as he's doing his priestly duty, and we will start setting about a new order, a new time that has come, and heaven invaded this darkness on this earth, this desperate place where God's people were so far away from where he is, and the angel Gabriel appeared before, before Zechariah, and here was the start of the new day, a start of a new time a new era the Lord was setting in place for his people. Come on. And the angel Gabriel disrupts Zacharias, and I was thinking about it this morning. I reckon he told Zechariah, and he muted him, because he said he was like not believing this. He was like, you know what? You guys are not going to mess this up anymore. You will not speak. I'm speaking now. Silence, man. Not today, Satan. Not today. And Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, on his next assignment, came to visit Mary, this young teenage girl who's been called and appointed by the Almighty to birth the Son of God, that God would come in the flesh and come and dwell with His people. What a new day was being instituted here. 
Can you feel all of heaven kind of saying, yes, we've waited for this time. Now is the time. We can see this thing unfolding before our very eyes. And Mary's chosen and she responds with, yes, whatever the Lord needs me to do, I will do for him. And she, through the virgin birth, she births the son, the Messiah, the virgin. And God appears in the flesh to his people. At this point, Satan is now disrupted. But what is going on here? Whoa, whoa, there's a disruption. There's a change here. Whoa, what's playing out? We need to kill all the two-year-olds. All those under two need to be killed. He used his agents to set about what he is trying to cause disruption and chaos on this earth. But was that going to stop the king? No ways. Not in this time, because God had an order that he was setting about for his people. Okay, and we see Jesus grows. It says that at the end of Luke, he grew in stature. Luke 1 or 2, it says, and he grew in stature and favor with both God and men. And he was a, he was a little boy, just like Luke. Just like this little guy we celebrate this morning. And he grew up understanding the ways of the Lord, understanding the call on his life. And on that day when he was baptized and John baptized him in the water and he came up and the voice spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved son who I'm chosen, you know, um, um, and called as my very own hearing. Listen to his voice as I speak and I use this guy, use this man to bring about things in this day and this age. This is my son, my beloved. But we see for the Messiah, the son of man, God was once again in the flesh walking among his people. It was a new day for Israel. But Jesus was despised. He was rejected. He was pushed away. He was accused of being a fraud. He was crucified for blaspheming the name of God and calling himself the Messiah, the Son of God. Who do you think you are to call yourself that? Who are you to be able to forgive for sins? Who are you to be able to do healing? And through hatred and rejection of his teachings, they murdered him and nailed him to a cross. But he didn't let them take it from him. He gave his life as the perfect Passover lamb that was sacrificed for us. And if you look at when a lamb is slaughtered, and I remember Steve Morris telling us a story when he slaughtered a lamb, and he had to do it marrying a Colombian woman, and he was this little British boy. What do I do now? You know, us city people, we don't really slack stuff and cut things. We're not very good at that. But he said when he went to slaughter this lamb, it just looked at him and said, okay, let's do this. This needs to be done. That's how the Son of Man was. We need to do this. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, willing to go to the cross because he knew the price that he was paying here would redeem all of mankind. Not just his chosen people, but as we see in Acts 10, the Gentiles, the rest of the, of, of the world would be drawn to the Son of God to know him as his very own. And he cried out on that cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he felt the weight, he felt the pain upon himself, carrying sins that were past, sins that took place then and sins to come. He carried it all upon his shoulders. And he took upon the weight of sin, the spotless lamb of, of God, the Messiah that paid the price. And he breathed his last breath and gave up his spirit. And died. A cruel death. And when he died, there was darkness all over the land. The temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, declaring that now that sacred place that only the high priest once a year can enter has been torn open. 
that all of us now can come into the Holy of Holies. There was earthquakes that were taking place at the time of his death. The tombs were opening up. People were coming out of their tombs, walking back into the city, seeing family that they haven't seen before. And the one centurion and the one officer of the, of the army said there, surely, surely this was the Son of God. And he acknowledged, this is not just any normal human that we've just crucified on a cross. This stuff taking place here has set an order. Surely. This man was the Son of God. Now I want to read you a passage relating to the next part of the story. And then when this, we read it this morning to start off, but I want to read this again from Mark 15. And it says, When Sabbath was, Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, so they brought spices so they might, might go and anoint him. This is the day after Sabbath. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And, they said to them, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. I love how he calls out Peter there. And he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as I told you, just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb for trembling and astonishment. Okay, had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. I want to I link that to the very first passage that I read to you in Genesis this morning. Okay? What we saw was God looking for where they were. Where are you, Adam? God was looking for them. What's happened now? They were seeking where God was. Where's God? Where's Jesus? They're trying to find where he's at. And God wasn't seeking them out. What happened? Adam and Eve were afraid, naked, shameful, hiding. These two were, were afraid, but astonished and full of excitement because they weren't hiding from him. They were going to tell everybody of him. Hello? But there was this, what's going on happening? And God appeared to them, just as he appeared to Adam and Eve in the garden. God appeared to them. And he appeared to Mary, who was seeking him out. Where are you? Where are you, Jesus? And he appeared to the two walking on the Emmaus Road, talking about all these things that have taken place, and their hearts were just drawn to what, and he appeared to them, and he walked with them, and he told them all the scriptures, and they were like, when he left, and he disappeared in front of the meal, and they said, well, didn't our hearts burn inside of us as he told us these scriptures? And they realized it was the Messiah. They were seeking him out. Their hearts were leaning towards him. He appears to his disciples on a number of occasions. Okay, he, he appeared and had a, brine, a fish brine on the beach, and he restored Peter. He took the time to restore this man who had denied him three times, and he called it out at him. He took the time to appear to him and restore that broken heart. You read further down in the, in the, in the words of, word of God where Paul was in prison in Acts 23, and there was such a riot of such extreme proportions that they had to pull him out, scared that his body would be ripped to pieces. And Paul sitting in prison that night, the words in Acts 23, 11 says, and the Lord stood near to Paul that night. He appeared to Paul. Okay, but what happened? The difference from the garden 
where God was saying, where are you? To now people saying, looking and seeking for Jesus and asking, where is he? And he appears to them. The difference is they weren't banished. They weren't set out. What they, what from there, what they, what they went and did was that they drew all to them and shared the glory and the powering of what Jesus had done for them. It wasn't hiding away and being afraid. It was running out with the fear and the awe of the majesty of Almighty God and telling the good news that He's risen, telling the good news that Messiah is now alive. And today, folks, we celebrate the understanding that today, because of today, everything, everything has changed. Everything. From where they were looking for God, to, to sorry, where God was looking for them, to where now they're seeking Almighty. They're seeking Him out. The tide has turned. The shift has come. The old covenant stands, but it's been fulfilled and, and completed in everything that Jesus has done. Everything of a foreshadow that was spoken about the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. Everything in the New Testament is Jesus revealed to us. Now we live in the fulfillment and the fulfillness of that because Jesus has opened the way to the Father for us. The curtain has been torn. When we worship Him, we are worshiping in spirit and in truth. We are in the Holy of Holies. We are before the throne of the mighty God. Before we had to go through animals and sacrifice and priests, it's been done. And when our hearts are set on seeking Him, on pursuing Him with a pure heart and clean hands, I guarantee you, and I promise you this, He will appear to you. As they were seeking Him out, where's Jesus? Where's He? He appeared to them. He will appear to you, folks, in the depths of your heart as you're crying out and asking Jesus, come and meet me where I'm at. He will appear to you. He will play what He said He would do. And now as we're building up to the understanding of the, 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 the disciples, you see, was the understanding of Pentecost that's coming in 50 days, where everything changed again yeah. through the resurrection. But He says, I'm going to empower you. And as we build up, and our, this is part of it, as we build up to Pentecost this year too, we've got to have our hearts open. Because God wants to, He's doing something on these assigned times that God set in order for a rhythm and a pattern every year. And He moves around these times. And He's looking for those hearts who are turned to Him, looking to those hearts that He can strengthen, looking to those that are obeying Him. If you read through the Word of God, often there's a separation. Chaff and wheat, goats and sheep. You read in, I think it's Jeremiah 23, where he says, the Lord shows him a fig bowl. Bad fruit, good fruit. Israel, they've been bad fruit, but I'm looking for those that are good fruit. There's a constant separation. And it's those that, they will not get lost to the kingdom, but those that choose the things of God and obey his voice, he will raise up and he will continue to use. Okay. But just, folks, and I want to finish up with this now. Just as Israel, we can be just like Israel where we had everything. God gave us all things through His people to help them, but they kept turning from Him. They kept worshiping other idols, worshiping other things. With all the miracles, all the provision, everything that was laid out for them, Almighty God, Yahweh, they still chose to worship other gods. You see, if you're not seeking out Jesus and asking that, where is He? Question. Where are you in the midst of me raising my children? Where are you in the midst of helping us lead this community? Where are you in my business? Where are you in Cape Town? Where are you in South Africa, Jesus? Pour out your spirit. Move among your people. If we're not seeking him and desire to worship him in spirit and in truth, something else will steal your worship. And the harsh and honest word is, 
idolatry. We worship things that are not God. And, I'm, and in today's world, we look back on the Bible and go, well, I can be very, very thankful. I've never made a golden calf with all Kathleen's jewelry. I can just say, I, I've never done that. Okay, but that was what happened in the day. Okay, you don't have enough gold jewelry. It will be like a little trinket. Well, let's, let's make a little calf here. Worship the calf. You want to worship the calf in the mornings before school? Nah, not really, eh? It was, idolatry just looked different back then. What does it look like today? And we look back and say, ah, yeah, I'm not in, ah, it doesn't bother me. I'm, I don't do that. But what do you do in today's world? Okay? And what happens, the luring of things in this world lure us away from the truth. As we seek Jesus in purity, other things will come along your way. I guarantee you, if you speak to somebody, okay, who's made a lot of money in life, okay, and what they've done is got over their pride and their ego and all these things about lots of money that played out in their worlds, but the reality is that when they had everything, they actually lost everything. And looking back, you talk to an older person, and he's got everything, he looks back, he's ashamed that he's lost his family and his children. Because those are the, the, the key things, but he's got everything. No, he lost everything. And if they look back with a pure heart, they will realize money did not provide what I needed on this earth. Jesus is the only thing it's going to satisfy. See, things will lure you away. If you speak to any musician, any Christian musician, okay, who's made a lot of money or who, who has driven, okay, and I watched a very interesting documentary that my father-in-law keeps me informed of stuff about all the Christian artists over the years, and they all speak about the fame and the money and how some of them used people as a commodity for their products and albums and concerts and that to go out. And they all look back in hindsight and go, I wouldn't want that. I will do this music thing over and over again for Jesus, but he will be at the center of everything. And it's not about the fame. It's not about the money. It's not about the people that come and listen to us sing. It's all about Jesus. We all learn in hindsight, but what were they doing? They were worshiping other stuff. And yes, in the humility, they acknowledged it. Okay, Jesus and the Father very clearly gave to the, 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 the Israelites in Exodus 20, you shall worship no other gods. No carved idols or images, anything like that. You shall not bow or worship other gods. And you read Psalm 16, verse 4, it says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. I've seen sorrows in people's lives increase because they run after other things that they think will satisfy them. But it's not seeking Jesus. It's seeking the things that Jesus can give you but you, def you put him aside and you pursue the things thinking I will get it. But you forget, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in this? God, ask yourself that question over and over again. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now that you, you think you won't be affected by fame and money. Well, if I had lots of money, I wouldn't be affected by like those people. You don't know because you don't have it. When you have lots of power, you don't know how your heart will become corrupt. Yeah. Don't desire that. Desire the king. Ask, where are you, Jesus, in this? Are you in the center of this pursuit of mine? Okay? And the enemy, folks, is very crafty. And he will steal your worship. He will point you in directions that seem like you're on the right track. But it's so subtle. So subtle. You see, what is idolatry? Idolatry is when your worship is misdirected from God. It leads us away from trusting God alone. We trust in other things. Money, fame, fortune, power, whatever. 
What you do or what you get from you feeds your affirmation and approval, meaning all the attention is placed on yourself and what I get out of this, my needs, my wants, it's entitlement. Okay? Self. I'm important in this. No, you're not. You're just an instrument of the kingdom with him being at the center. Addictions, ungodly habits, the lust of the flesh lure us away to the things of God. And thinking that leads us away from the truth are strongholds in our mind that we have, as they said at the end of Judges, we, did things, we do things according to what we think is right. I have the truth, but is Jesus at the center of this truth? And trusting our own efforts and not from the Lord. And I want to just highlight six possible things that we could possibly look at our own lives and think these could be idols in our lives today. And you're thinking again, and I've said this a hundred times here, Children, it's Easter Sunday. Calm down. Like, you don't have to be so serious about this stuff. Folks, God is calling us to a deeper place. We have to look within. The declaration this morning said, help me to examine myself. If you don't examine yourself, what is the point of all of this? You've got to look everything through Jesus. Just highlight six things here quickly. Okay? This whole thing of our identity, who we are, okay, as people, is found in the worth of something or someone that gives us identity and a feeling of affirmation. So something you do makes you feel, I'm secure, my life's cool, everything's fine because I've got all these things in place, but it's, it's without Jesus. Okay, identity is nothing without Jesus. Okay, money, the pursuer of riches and wealth and fame, a desire for more. You think, if I have more, I'll have peace and I'll have more hope. No, have peace and hope with a little. There's the test. People worship money with a desire for it to become something. The, the whole thing in our, in our modern world of entertainment. We love being entertained. We run after things that entertain us, and we put the things of God second. That happens all the time. No, we can't go to that, because there's that, man. Come on. That's a, I'm not, listen to me. These aren't wrong. Okay? It's the pursuit of them that is the test for you. Okay? What, what entertainment gives us, it makes us passive. We just sit and entertain. The church is so passive today because church has become entertaining. And it all happens and we all sit and, well, that's a great, great meeting. We'll sit back and nothing changes. We're all involved in this. Sexuality and sex has become, it's like goddess-like. See, when people speak sex goddess and sex god and all these people. That desire and pursuit in people's lives has become worship. Okay? And not the intent that God created it to be, to be able to have generations that go through. Yeah, that's what it's for. And pleasure within the communion and the covenant of marriage. But it's been blown out of proportion and people pursue in sexuality. Look at all the gender nonsense about identity. Okay? And people worship that. Okay? This thing of comfort. Just convenience. Just have it easy, bro. Take it easy. Just settle down. Comfort, when we've forgotten what a sacrificial life looks like. We've forgotten that prayer costs. It's not on your terms. We've forgotten that worship is not on your terms. It costs, it's sacrificial. That's what Romans 12 speaks about. Lay your lives down as a living sacrifice. Okay? That's why the things cost, and we've forgotten that in our world because we just want to be comfortable. Things on your terms. And the final thing here is that if we were in the 80s, we could have easily said, TV is an idol. Okay? 
TV. Now people run around, their whole worlds are associated around the series of Dallas. And I will get home just in time for Dallas. As I sit there and eat my supper watching Dallas, yes, this is lacquer, it's good stuff, eh? Yeah, good. And your whole world revolves around these programs, and you're like, no, I can't go to that group meeting. I've got to watch Dallas because, man, it's hotting up JR and all these oaks are causing trouble. Ewing, I mean, I remember that stuff as a kid. That's the 80s, eh? Okay? Now perpetuate that to what we've got with all our media and devices where people can't put this flippant phone down. Okay. Social media. Just tweet, tweet what I said there quickly, Nathan, quickly. Yeah. <clears throat> Just yeah, put it on Instagram. Do we, yeah, and it's good to laugh about it and joke. But here's the test, folks, with all this stuff, okay? None of these things are wrong. Okay, listen, listen to me, listen to what I'm saying. Don't listen to find the hole in the donut. Listen to what I'm saying. They're not wrong. The pursuit of them, okay, when it controls you and you can't put it down or walk away from it, it's a worship of idolatry in your life. Where's Jesus in the midst of all of us? Okay? Because if you can't put it down and walk away from it, it's got a grip on you. That's why Kathleen can't get hold of me on phone, because I don't care about my phone. I will sit for a whole morning and do work on my phone and email and WhatsApp a million people and get everything going because I need to do that. But it doesn't control my life. It's very important because what is your worship being drawn to? And I'll ask you these four questions that relate to these things that I'm speaking about. Where do you spend all your money? We'll answer a question whether money and how you spend it controls it. Okay? Where do I spend my time? Is it what I want, what I do for myself, and things that will feed me, my identity, entertainment, all these things. Now remember, there's nothing wrong with it, is that it becomes centered around you needing identity through the stuff. Okay, where do I get my joy? We spoke about joy this morning. Rejoice. Where do we find that fulfillment of joy? It's not in the next fix series. It's not that you're on level 5,000 of some crossword puzzle. Okay? It's not, not in those places. Where do you find your joy? In your security, in His presence. What is always on your mind? What is always making you tick? What is always playing through your mind all the time? Okay? Those are hard questions to ask where you know there's something that's got a hold of you where it's not focused on the center of Jesus that we worship Him. Okay, he says, when your ego gets in the way and dominates your thinking and actions, it's proof that you're not ready to let go of something because you still want to be in charge. Ego will drive and feed idolatry in your life. All the time. There's the test. Jesus, where are you? Are you in the center of my world? Can I lay these things down? Can I have no money and still have joy? Yes. Can I be short? Not in stature. Baby, love you. Okay? And still have hope in life? Of course we can. See, it's not about being rich or poor. It's about being secure where you're at. God's heart is that all will be well. But society has messed up the system. That's why the church needs to arrive with solutions. That's another sermon. We'll hold on that one. See, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, 
But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's this upside down, backwards thing. Lay it all down, give it all up, and you will get given everything. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Look at the industries today. People forfeit their souls for fame and glory, money, wealth, and power. What, what profit is that? Because at the end of the day, who cares? When you stand before the Almighty God, who cares that you've got a billion views on Twitter or, or YouTube? It's going to count for nothing. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And what he's referring to when he speaks to there is that now, just in a moment, just after that, Peter, James, and John were part of the transfiguration. They saw the power and the glory of God playing out right in front of them. The glory of God would manifest here on this earth. I just want to read Luke 11, verse 5, and we'll end off here and break bread together and do this communion. What did I say? Luke 11, sorry. Luke 11, 5. And he says this, and this is Jesus speaking, Which of you have a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey I have nothing set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. It's the, the tradition of the day is that you will always help in the community around. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, meaning his consistency of knocking and asking, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, hear these words, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, Okay? He didn't like fish either. Don't worry about it. If his son asks for, no, we won't go, an Xbox, okay, we'll, we'll give him a stone. Okay? If his son asks for a fish, we'll give him a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Okay? If you then, who are evil, he's referring to us, who we are, we are fallen in nature. If you who are evil, speaking to us, know how to give good, good gifts to your children, okay, how much more will your heavenly Father, listen to what he says here, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. It's not in the things you get from God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's asking the question in your heart, where are you, Jesus? Are you at the center of me now? Are you at the center of my desires, my asking, my seeking, my knocking? Are you at the center of all that? And in that pursuit, in that consistently asking, knowing, coming before the Almighty God, asking, knowing I will receive, knocking on things, knowing He will open up to us. And He will give us, what is the greatest gift? The Holy Spirit, who will help you, who will lead you, who will guide you into all truth that your pursuit for stuff will not lead you into idolatry, will not lead you into the pursuit of worship of other things, but He will remain in the center, and your worship can be centered on who He is, but you can have $7 trillion in your bank account and still be secure.
because it's not about the bank account and the money. It's not about the likes on Facebook and Twitter. It's not about that. It's about knowing Him and being centered on who He is, but the pursuit of your pure heart will align you with the things of God and will align you exactly with what God's leading us and what He's saying to us as His people. Okay? And it comes down again and said to you, it's a heart issue, folks. It's all about the heart. Because whatever's trying to steal your worship and take away from you is, is a heart issue. And I, all that's happening in the church around the world, all the issues in these big churches, all these things that are playing out, I f- firmly believe many of them started out with the intentions of their hearts were pure. I know that. I can, you can know it. But pa- fame, money, wealth, corrupted. And it's almost like, I don't want that. We don't want that, God. We want to remain before you and knowing that we seek you and ask where you're at amongst everything, every desire that we have. You are our pursuit. Because if you ask, He will answer. If you seek, you will find Him. And if you knock on the door, He will open to you. Seek Jesus, people. Seek Him out. Daily of your life, talking, communing with Him as you walk. Don't give up this pursuit. Don't give up because He will appear to you. He will show Himself strong. As you lay down all these agendas around this world and all the things that press in on us, and seek Him, and seek Him alone. Watch, and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Because Jesus has restored everything back to just as the garden. We don't have to hide from Him now. We don't have to run away from Him. We don't have to be afraid. Okay? Just as Adam and Eve were in the garden, they hid, were afraid, and naked. He died naked and paid the price that we now can be free. And rejoice, and His grace abounds to us. Hallelujah. Okay.